The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. Today, I'm excited to welcome Jason Tellner, who is a senior user researcher at IBM. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Seema, for the wonderful introductions. So yeah, I'm a senior user researcher within the CIO organization. So one of the main purpose is we try and improve the employee's experience with the various apps and tools that they use, as well as their overall workflow and work experiences through a variety of different methods. Very cool. I love it that it's really your mission and your role focuses on making employees' lives better, right? In terms of their day-to-day productivity and how they can, you know, relate to the company and the tools that they provide. Yeah. And we do that through a lot of different ways, using surveys and, you know, doing user interviews and collecting a lot of data and, you know, seeing how that can improve the design of the whole experience in terms of onboarding how they download various apps and tools, and just the overall, we have an overall website that actually is for employees to get various types of information and, you know, figuring out various things around their career and just having a unified experience is something that we felt has been really beneficial for employees. And also just in terms of, you know, how the company responds to things that are going on in the environment in terms of COVID and, you know, any major crisis that's happening in, in the world and figuring out how we can better serve employees and make their lives easier on a day-to-day basis. That's fantastic. Jason, before we, because I know you're working on some really exciting projects currently, but before we dive into that, can you just give our listeners a little bit of background as to how you got to this point in your journey? Yeah. So I actually started out, I mean, as an undergrad, I was a psychology major, but going through the sciences. So I was really focused on neuroscience and cognitive behavior. And when I was finishing up my undergrad degree, I really wanted to apply sort of these basic theories that I was learning in terms of how people think and feel and perceive information. I wanted to apply it to everyday world problems. And, uh, you know, one area I was seriously considering was industrial psychology, which is really applying these knowledge to business. And then I actually did an internship in my last year of my undergrad at a company called Human Systems, which is a human factors consulting company. And what they do is they try and optimize the performance of humans with military equipment, command and control with, you know, transportation. So what they do is they try and optimize on human limitations in terms of how we think and perform with equipment and optimize design. So Got it. yeah, so that was a really engaging experience. And from then on, I really got involved in human factors. I studied it in grad school. I worked on a variety of interesting projects in terms of redesigning displays for air traffic controllers mm-hmm looking at night vision goggles and the different perceptual distortions that were causing accidents. So a lot of human factors has to do with improving not only efficiency, but safety right. in terms of using equipment and preventing accidents and errors. And you know, this was an area that was quite prevalent in the aviation industry. And it really started in the Second World War, where 
they realized that a lot of pilots were crashing their airplanes, not because of the enemy, but simply because of fatigue. So there were wow. human limitations in terms of how long they could fly and fatigue was causing them to crash their airplanes. So human factors was really my beginning. And then I kind of took my skills and applied them to the digital age of okay. the internet and user experience, which really user experience has to do with the experience a user gets with using a product, the end-to-end -end experience. Does the product fulfill their needs? Are they satisfied? Are they happy using the product? So sort of the end-to-end -end journey of a, that a user gets. So for mm -hmm. example, when you go online and you, for example, on Amazon, you want to buy a product. What is that experience like of getting to the Amazon site, of looking for the product? Are your needs met? Is it an easy experience? Is the navigation easy or can it be improved? Are there right. you know, pain points? Is it difficult to find the product that you want? How long have you been at IBM? Well, I've been at IBM for about eight years now. And most of my time has spent within the CIO. So working on employee experiences with various products and services and more focused on yes. employee engagement and the employee in terms of their day-to-day -day workflow and how they're working. Cool. And I know that you're working on a couple of different projects currently at IBM. Correct. To yeah. So one of them that was you know kind of interesting is that we're trying to figure out whether various project teams have the right capabilities and attitudes in terms of user experience. So if they're building a product, say for cloud, or they're building you know, an AI product, we're trying to assess them if they have the right user experience capabilities. And also, you know, how are they conducting user experience and are they doing it in an agile way? So we actually right. have created an, an assessment tool that can assess kind of where their strengths and weaknesses are. And then we can make recommendations based on where their weaknesses are. So they may have the right attitudes, but they might not be engaging in the right behaviors, or they might not have the right skills and competencies. So they may have to be staffed in terms of having, you know, a user experience designer on the team or a user researcher on the team, or even a data scientist, because they kind of work more in tandem nowadays. Data scientists and user researchers are working more collaboratively together. So this project is nice because we're just trying to it's really a, a gauge on terms of whether teams have the right capabilities and are doing user research and agile in the right ways. Is it something that you proactively reach out to teams or do teams reach out to you and say, hey, listen, I would love to get this assessment for my team? Because, you know, it's a little bit scary sometimes to say, oh, our team's getting evaluated. And, you know, what if we don't hit the marks? Right. So, I mean, I think it would be more in terms of I mean, we're definitely promoting it, but teams uh -huh. would be more reaching out to us and okay. want to know if they're doing agile and user research in the right ways. Okay. And, you know, what are some ways that they can improve? And this assessment tool will really sort of pinpoint the ways that they can be improved. And also just in terms of recommended training that they may want to take right. to be better equipped to do user research and user experience design. And what, obviously there was this program or this initiative was solving a pain point internally, it kind of what, if you can share, what inspired this initiative to happen? Well, in terms of solving a pain point with, with teams, you know, it's really sort of, I guess it's almost becoming like the status quo that, you know, teams should be doing, working in an agile way in terms of designing applications and software. And, you know, the whole notion that user experience research is really becoming vital to your overall product and right. that it should be done early on. So it should be injected into your design project early on. And in terms of your agile team, you know, when they're crafting their stories for designing software, user research should be really something that's being done at the start. In terms that's integrated. Of the, the task, the integrated and right. what the tasks and, and activities are, you know, user research should really be one of the things that's done at the beginning. So I think teams are realizing that if they do it too late, 
and the product's already gone to market or it's already been deployed or the developers have already started working on it, they're going to have to break a lot of the work that they've it's already done. It's hard to pull back. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to pull back. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. It's kind of, you start believing in, in the assumptions, even though you might've not really got tested them yet. Yeah. I mean, the attitudes and the behaviors may not always be in alignment. Right. So, you know, you yeah. can say you do user research, but you're not really doing mm-hmm. it until it's too late. And then when you do it, it's, you know, it's a real pain to do it when it's too late. So yeah. For sure. And you have a, a second one too that you're working on. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Of- so the other project is around creating a digital assistant. So there are a lot of digital assistants that exist nowadays in our everyday life. I mean, we have, everyone's familiar with Amazon Alexa and Google yes. Home, but the whole point of this digital assistant is to help employees in all sorts of realms. So whether they have IT support issues or they have questions regarding HR. So we're trying to create one that can answer a variety of different employee-related questions. And the interesting thing with this project is how it's kind of evolving and what it's being built on. That's being built on based the information we get from doing user research with users, but it's also being built on big data in terms of looking at, you know, calls to support and ticketing and what sort of tasks, you know, employees have failed on. We're using that data and integrating it with the more qualitative data we get from user research to craft those intents and refine them and they evolve over time. So they get better and better. We're using a lot of field metrics. Sorry. Yeah, we're using a lot of field metrics to track, you know, what sort of questions users are asking and Mm -hmm. when do they get answers that are fulfilling to them. So users can actually provide feedback with the assistant and and tell them, yes, this answered my question or no, this didn't. And then we can refine the intents and make them better. So it's really evolving over time. And we have a bunch of benchmark metrics we've used to kind of measure the performance of it and track it against, for example, what the baseline would be. So without having the assistant, Mm -hmm. they simply went to an HR site and tried to find out the information. We're comparing against that. So we have a a methodology we've used called friction analysis, where we're actually measuring the difficulty of completing a task, both without the digital assistant and with the digital assistant. We can actually tracking that friction over time to see has the friction decreased? Has it got better if they're using our digital assistant? Has it evolved over time? and improve the ease of completing that task. So as it lowered the friction over time. That's and we really found that cool. It have for, we have found that it has for a lot of these tasks. And if it hasn't, then we try and improve it and make it better. So yeah. it does. That's incredibly satisfying to know that IBM cares that much about its employees to ensure a frictionless experience, especially for getting some critical information. Absolutely. I mean, I really feel like IBM cares about its employees in a variety of different ways, mm-hmm. you know, through its IT support both the phone and the online support through the digital assistant, but also just in terms of the ways we work. And, you know, when major crises happen like COVID and everyone had to work from home, IBM was was fantastic in terms of, you know, equipping employees with the right tools pretty much seamlessly that they could work from home and they had all the right tools to be able to work from home and not have to use various infrastructure that was needed. In terms of home office, they were able to seamlessly transition people to a home work environment. That's fantastic. Not really reducing any of the quality of work that they right. were, they had everything they needed. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the trend that you're seeing with UX and data science. I'd love to peel back some layer, layers. Sure. Here. So, I mean, data science is really a hot area, and I really see that the two areas of data science and user experience are becoming more and more integrated as time moves on. And I think there's a real reason for that, and that data science is great at collecting vast amounts of data and answering a lot of what type questions. But user research is really great for uncovering the whys. So if we do these two disciplines separately, 
there's a lot of blind spots that are there. So if you just do data science, you're going to get a lot of data, you're going to get a lot of quantity of data, but you're not going to understand a lot of motivations for that data and motivations for behavior. So for example, if you're collecting a lot of data on, you know, why users search for various information or various, you know, IT problems, you're not going to uncover a lot of the whys behind why are they searching that. And there's a famous case study that I'll just maybe take a couple of minutes to yeah, talk please. about. And this was actually with Walmart and it happened years ago where they were using data mining techniques and they found that the sales of beer and diapers were highly correlated in their sales data from their retail mm -hmm. stores. So they found that out through data mining and you know what they concluded, they didn't really have a great reason, but what they concluded right. was that men were buying both diapers and beer usually on Friday evenings. They saw that in the data. And so what they concluded was that men were picking up diapers after work at the request of their wives and rewarded themselves with a nice cold six pack of beer. <laughs> so what they decided to do was they decided to move those items closer, closer on the store shelves. And they found that sales increased dramatically right away. However, when they repeated the study, you know, like a year later, right. they didn't find that correlation again. Like that correlation was not there. And it was inconsistent. So sometimes they found it, sometimes they didn't find it. Right. So there's a variety of kind of problems that are going on here. First of all, you know, they may have already been placed next to each other on the store shelf. So that may have caused sales to increase. However, they didn't really, because they didn't do that underlying user research, they didn't really understand the motivations. That was just kind of a hypothesis they had that right. you know, men were buying the beer after the diapers because they were already in the store, but they didn't know the real reason until you know, they really needed to do that user research to find out the real reason for that correlation. And why was it holding in some, you know, in some contexts, but not holding in other mm -hmm. contexts? If I paraphrase, it's, it's almost like the data science helps you uncover trends. It's kind of identifies- Through many channels. Yeah, lots yes. of different channels. Yeah. Right. And the user research, to your point, helps you understand what's the motivation behind it, behind, behind the, the data trend. and the behavior. Yeah. And the behavior. Now, when you talk about user research, are you typically talking qualitative research? Are you talking quantitative research? Um, what's your experience? I mean, my experience in user research has been mainly qualitative, but certainly there is quantitative user research. You know, you can certainly measure time on task. If you're right. doing a task, you can measure the number of errors they commit. Yep. Um, you can do A-B testing where you're comparing like two different designs. Right. But the rich qualitative feedback, I feel, is the real benefit you get from user research in terms of what the user actually says mm -hmm. in the moment when they're engaging with a product or service. The comments you get from surveys are extremely valuable right. in terms of qualitative data. But you're also using data science techniques to get the qualitative out of those comments, because if you're going through thousands of comments, you need, you know, AI machine learning mm -hmm. algorithms to go through those comments and actually extract the meaningful information. I mean, you don't want a person manually going through right. you know, hundreds or thousands of comments. And that's where the data science techniques really come in, in terms of extracting the insight from that, you know, huge number of comments. So. Got it. Got it. And do you think that this is something that will continue as a trend where, you know, you, you'll see these two functions coming together in large I, corporations? I, I believe so, because, you know, if they work separately as different disciplines, they're not answering core research questions together. And also there's a lot of blind spots and they're right. also might approach problems from different vantage points. So I feel that it's much more optimal and powerful if they work together in teams because they're approaching things from the same research question and they're covering each other's blind spots and working in tandem to produce a much more powerful and insightful result. And they're not wasting time in terms of, you know, exploring avenues that are not worth exploring because right. they don't understand what the blind spot is that the other area may have covered. So it's basically collaborating, right? Collaborating, and Making yeah. sure Col that they have yeah. the same goal in mind. Yeah. Collaboration is really key, I think. 
So Jason, so much has happened in the last 24 months with COVID and the way people work, the way people prioritize different things in their lives. You know, it's kind of, it's opened up so much for so many people in terms of kind of making choices about their careers and their jobs. What do you think is underlying for people as it relates to where they work and how they work? Yeah, I mean, COVID has really, you know, forced people to work from home because they couldn't go into the office. And with that, you know, the ability to work remotely and and work everywhere has really, you know, resulted in this great resignation at most companies where, you know, because you can work from anywhere, you know, the opportunities are becoming much greater. You're not confined to a particular location. And in terms of companies, I think the resource pool for hiring, I mean, there's so much talent they could access now compared to when it was simply confined to a specific geographical location. So I think it just made it much easier for, you know, employees to find other opportunities. And there could be many reasons why they want to find other opportunities. You know, they may not be able to get promoted as easily, or, you know, they may find more interesting work, you know, otherwise, or maybe even get better compensation. So it's just made it easier for, you know, employees to find other opportunities and also for employers to find them. So I think that's, you know, one big trend that we're seeing because of COVID. And also, you know, this whole idea that, you know, you're not, you're engaging with people in a remote environment and you're not doing it as used to be. But in the IT sector, a lot of employees already were kind of working remotely. So I don't think that much has changed on that front. But I think, yeah, really in terms of, you know, being able to switch roles and be recruited for, to companies that are not even, you know, located in your region, I think is one of the big trends that we're seeing. Yeah. I agree. And I also think people are choosing not just, you know, what the traditional metrics were for taking a job, but it's, you know, they're choosing jobs maybe based on company culture and what, you know, does that resonate with them? And does the company stand for their values and ethics and stuff like that? So the game has definitely changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for younger people coming into the workforce. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in terms of younger people, for sure. And I mean, a younger people, I would expect that younger people are, you know, they kind of like that in office experience because, you know, a younger person starting out their career, they want to have that face-to-face interaction and be in the office. So, you know, they, I think would be less likely to want to remain remote, but for the, you know, the person who's tied down with a family and has obligations with kids, they probably love it. And they just have so much more flex time, assuming their kids are in school, right. And they're not being distracted while they work. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So where do you see the future of your group kind of evolving into if you had to hazard a guess? I would say the future of my team is certainly, you know, moving towards more integrated skills. So data science and UX working more in tandem together. I definitely see that. I mean, we have a data science group within our team and I certainly see more integrated work and on all the products we do. Mm -hmm multidisciplinary teams is definitely where it's going. So bringing in a large variety of skills, you know, bringing in the best talent and doing the best work, that is definitely, you know, where our team is going. That's fantastic. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks so much, Seema, for the great discussion. Thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. 
Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. Exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.